Well, how'd you do with the bowl last week? We handed out 1,500 packets for children. You know what was special about those packets? They had suckers in them. So the children were quiet during the sermon. Ingenious, just ingenious. Well, thank you for your support, and that was a marvelous experience. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about Doubting Thomas. And there are pivotal moments in history when people have questioned their resolve. Catch this. Today, our enemy sits across that valley at Aiton Battle. And a battle we shall bring them. For years, our king has oppressed us, taken our farms, our families, our freedom. But today, the victory is ours. Today. Excuse me. Sorry, I don't don't know what the protocol is here. But um, what are our chances of actually winning this thing today? What was your name, soldier? Uh, My name is Tommy, and I'm more of a farmer slash peasant. Tommy, the odds are not in our favor, but we'll dig deep and overcome those odds. How many soldiers do they actually have? The ranks number in the tens of thousands. Yeah, right. And we've got uh, about a thousand brave souls. Yeah! All right, I'm not a math guy, uh, but wow, right? Huh? Ten to one. Those are bad odds, right? Aye, but they're outnumbered. But we'll fight hard like dogs backed into a corner. For we have been beaten and kicked for far too long. Okay, okay I'm sorry, but I, I'm just on a Personally, I have not been beaten that badly. He burned my crops and took my wife. Okay, that is oppressive. But come on, Eddie, I know your wife. You're a little bit happy, right? You're just a little bit? Regardless, we shall fight, for I am certain, or at least have a strong feeling we will be victorious. What do they have that we don't? A fresh battalion came in last night, and they've got armor and shields. And are those archers? Aye, that they are. But it's not impossible. But it's not likely. Hey, it's doable. But we will fight. With what? Steve, what do you have? Oh, this is my wife's garden shovel. But she doesn't know I took it. We are outnumbered on the weapons front. I'll give you that. And they also have pants. Who schedules a battle for Skirt Thursday? Hindsight, wearing kilts. Bad idea. I'll take that one. That's on me. You know what? I think the fairest thing to do right now is to just take a vote. Who here wants to die today? But we're here. We came all this way. Wait, hear me out. Today we, deep down in ourselves, I know what we must do! Run! (laughs) 
What do you say? I just wish I didn't have to preach after that, you know? What do you do now, my soul? Well, I want to talk to you about Doubting Thomas, and the text is from John chapter 20. It's going to come up on the screen, and I'd love to have you read the lesson with me. Please, together. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the Word. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. Copernicus doubted that the sun revolved around the earth. Galileo doubted that heavy bodies fell faster than light bodies. Harvey doubted that the blood flowed into the tissue of the body simply through the veins. Wilberforce doubted that slavery was a necessity for the economy of Great Britain. Warner Van Braun doubted our inability to walk on the moon. Doubt has been a catalyst in terms of the development of knowledge. Doubt's important to all of us. It's a creative factor. And those who doubt are not carriers of some damning disease and must trail the faithful at a safe distance lest we contaminate them. Doubt is not toxic. Doubt can be a growth factor. In fact, it can indeed lead us into larger faith. The Bible has some characters in it that doubted, like Abraham, Moses, and David, like John the Baptist, Peter, like Mary Magdalene and the woman at the well. Doubt is not covered up in the Bible. Right after the resurrection of Jesus, you have this appearance that we just read about from John chapter 20. The disciples were in a safe house. They were in lockdown mode. The shutters were closed. 
They were petrified. Why were they so scared? They were scared silent. Why? Because they thought one of them could easily be named next for a crucifixion. Suddenly, Jesus appears among them and says, Peace be with you. And what does he do? He shows them his hands where the nails were driven in them and tied him to the cross. He shows them his side where he was speared just before he died. But Thomas was missing. Here's what it says in verse 24. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So when Thomas finally catches up with the disciples, they say to him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Thomas goes, you've got to be kidding. We've seen the Lord, Thomas. Thomas says, have you been into some bad wine? What is your problem? Surely you don't. This sounds like wish fulfillment to me. I'm wary of all that kind of stuff. No, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Imagination was not the long suit of Thomas. And here's what it says in verse 25. He says, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas trusted his senses. He believed in empirical verification. He believed that he had to have tangible evidence. He was not willing to abdicate his intellectual credentials, nor was he willing to repress the questions that flitted around the fringes of his faith. And so he gets this tag. It was unshakable. People use it to this day. Oh, she's a doubting Thomas. He's a doubting Thomas. So he was tagged a doubting Thomas. Now, be clear about this. The Bible does not call him doubting Thomas, but we do. And doubt does arise in the Scripture. When Jesus was giving the Great Commission to his disciples, they described the crowd as being present, but some doubted. And then when Peter, if you remember, Peter stepped out of the boat when the Sea of Galilee was troubled and tried to walk on the water, and he sunk, and Jesus said something to Peter about his doubts. Yes, doubt is certainly part of the Scripture. And the truth is, it was a momentary doubt on his part. Let's give him a break. Thomas did make a comeback, but he was simply being honest about where he was, and at times we have to be honest about our own doubts. Our doubts taunt us. I've been called many times to the emergency room of hospitals to deal with families that are in deep distress. I've been there and watched Children breathe their last breath. In moments like that, doubts taunt us. I struggle with that just like you do. And there are moments like that when I say, God, where are you? Where is the resurrected Christ? If Christ is really the hinge of history, why isn't that power right here? Can't this child come back to life? Can't this family be comforted? We all have doubts that taunt us. In a way, Thomas was very contemporary. In truth, Thomas reminds us of that nemesis that haunts us over and over. 
People ask me all the time about life after death. They worry about this kind of stuff. And, and Thomas was right there in the middle of it with the risen Christ, and he was struggling with his doubts just like we do. So verse 25 says, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my fingers in, his, in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Do you know what? That's the doubter's mantra. Unless I see, I will not believe. When we say, unless I see, they're making, we are making ourselves the center of the universe. It's called ego. Ego. Do you know what ego stands for? Edging God out. Ego. And so we put ourselves in the center of the universe and we say, look, we just have to have some eyewitness accounts. We have to have some tangible evidence. There must be some logic to all this. There must be empirical verification. Unless I see, I will not believe. You know what's fascinating is that today, 70% of Christians in the world are non-Western. In other words, there are more Christians today in Africa, Asia, and Latin America than there are in the West. And there are more people worshiping on Sunday in China than there are worshiping in Western Europe. There are more Assembly of God folks, ten times the number of Assembly of God folks we've got in this country worshiping in Latin America. There are more Anglicans in Nigeria than there are Anglicans and Episcopalians in Europe, Britain, and the United States. There are more Presbyterians in Kenya worshiping today than there are Presbyterians in the United States. Yes, maybe we have been moved to the periphery of the kingdom of God. Maybe we've moved from a missions mode to a maintenance mode. But I don't think that's what God intended for us. It happened in a pastor's home. The family was getting ready for the evening meal. And just as they sat down, they were about to say the prayer. The pastor turned to his son and said, Have you washed your hands before dinner? And the son said, No, I haven't. So the father said, Son, you need to get up and go wash your hands. There was a bathroom just off that dining room. And so the little guy was in there and he was washing his hands. And you could hear the water running and he was soaping up. And he's going, germs and Jesus. Germs and Jesus. That's all I ever hear around here is germs and Jesus. <laughs> then he said, I never have seen either one of them here. <laughs> then he started to dry his hands. And then our son Peter came back and sat down at the table. There's a world of difference between honest doubt and obstinate unbelief. There's a world of difference between honest doubt and obstinate unbelief. Tennyson said, there lives more faith in honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. There lives more faith in honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. Ted Turner, several years ago, questioned the Ten Commandments. He said, we need a new ten. And he had some suggestions. He said, you know, if 
I just had a little more humility, I'd be perfect. Well, thanks, Ted. We really appreciate that. Listen, friends, the Bible's more critical, more critical of indifference than of doubt. The Bible's more critical of apathy than doubt. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. And there's a world of difference between skepticism and avoidance. An honest-to-God skeptic will do the research to discern whether or not there's any credibility to Jesus Christ, any credibility to the Christian tradition, any credibility to the Scriptures. A real doubter, an honest skeptic, will take a look at the 25,000 archaeological sites that give credence to the Scriptures as we know them. Yes, there's a difference between obstinate unbelief and honest doubt. The second point I want to make is this. Doubt has its limits. Doubt has its limits. Yes, it can be a cleansing force where you're forced to think through your apologetics, your explanation of the Christian faith. But friends, it can also become corrosive where you simply live in your doubts and you are determined to support your doubts when God in His grace calls you to take a leap of faith. There are people who hold God for ransom. Thomas did a little of that. Unless I see, unless I see the place where the nails went through his hands, unless I see that wound in his side, I will not believe. We don't hold God for ransom. Faith in Jesus Christ is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation. Faith is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation. You see, doubt has a basic flaw. And it's simply this, that you can go on forever and say, the truth is, there is nothing sufficient to drown my argument. And no evidence is ever sufficient. It's one thing to be a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's another thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We are not fans of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And at some point, we have to get out of the stands, get in shape, put the uniform on, and get in the rough, tough arena of Christian obedience. The truth is, the deepest insights and the strongest convictions don't come out of tranquil seclusion nor do they come out of philosophical speculation. They come out of living out the faith in the tough arena of Christian obedience. That's why mission trips are so important. It exposes us to the raw edge of Christianity. And in turn, we are the ones who come back strengthened from it. Well, I'm looking forward to next weekend because I love to watch the Masters. If you've been to the Masters, you know how beautiful, beautifully groomed that course is. And those boys that are playing that course, they know what they're doing. Now, I know they sell those Mickey Mouse pimento sandwiches for a dollar and a quarter. But that doesn't make the Masters so significant. It's the nature of the course, the nature of the players, and the nature of the competition.
A couple of years ago, Zach Johnson won the Masters. Zach is very open about his faith in Christ. And on his ball marker, he has Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. When Johnson won the Masters, they were interviewing him and they talked about his putting. And his putting was just superb. And they said, how, how come you did so well with the putting? He said, you have to learn to trust your line. Trust your line. Faith is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation. And that's what Johnson practices. Well, a week or so later, Jesus shows up again. Peace be with you. But this time, Thomas is there. And he brings this quest for truth to Jesus. And this is what happened, verse 27. Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Now let me ask you something. Did Thomas ever touch Jesus? We don't know. There's no evidence that he did. There's no evidence that he didn't. But seeing does not relieve us from the necessity of believing. What Jesus said was, Thomas, go ahead, touch me. And then he said, Thomas, you need to doubt your doubts and believe. Friends, that's the message for you and for me. Yes, we all have doubts. We need to doubt our doubts and take a leap of faith. Christ demonstrated his victory over death not by great feats of strength or spectacular miracles, but he did it by showing his wounds. You see, Christ doesn't give us answers. He gives us himself, himself. We don't live in a mechanistic world that is simply ruled by chance. I don't believe that for a minute. I think we do live in a world that is ruled by the love of God. Why else the exodus out of, Easter, out of Egypt? Why else Easter? God does intervene. And the scripture says, with God, nothing is impossible. Here's what it says in 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. Our love is calibrated and stingy. God's love is exhaustive and rich. God's love is, is willing even to risk, to bet, if you will, on you and me. Have I had my share of doubts? Many, many times. But I've moved from the agony of questions I cannot answer to the agony of answers I cannot question. Thomas responded to Jesus' challenge, and he simply said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. That was his omega point. That was his spiritual moment. Thomas did not need proof so much as he needed peace. 
Do we need proof or do we need peace? Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Some of you are old enough to remember the Second World War, the Second World War way back in the 40s. And during the Second World War, sugar was rationed. Anybody here old enough to remember that? My soul, you're old. Yeah. But sugar was rationed, am I right? And a friend of mine, Andy Eddington, was a very popular speaker, and he traveled a great deal. And, but Andy loved sugar in his coffee. So one night after speaking, he was driving back home, and he stopped at a diner. Have you ever heard of a diner? <laughs> Way back there, diners. And uh, he turned to the waitress. Today they are servers, right? But Andy turns to the waitress and said, I'd love to have a cup of coffee. And so she got him some coffee. He was sitting there at the counter. And then he said, may I please have some sugar? Well, there was no sugar to be seen anywhere. They wouldn't do that in the restaurants. So she went over and under the counter pulled out this glass jar with sugar, and he could pour the thing through the spout onto his spoon into his coffee. So that's what he did. And then as soon as he finished, she took the sugar back and put it down under the counter. And he said, may I have some more sugar? She said, well, and went over and got the sugar, brought it back out, and set it down in front of him and with disgust. And Andy proceeds to pour it in his coffee. And then he asked again for more sugar. And she said, why don't you stir up what you've got? That's the way it is with faith. Maybe we need not focus on our doubts. Maybe we need to stir up what we've got. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we live in the glow of Easter. Thank you for the power of the resurrection. We recognize that the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, all done on our behalf. Thank you, O oh God, for that intervention. Help us to live as Easter people. And now as we focus on your table, the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us, the crushed wheat and the crushed grape, remind us of that sacrifice. Now help us, O oh God, not to treat it casually. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.